You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I want you to remain standing and, and take your Bibles and turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, then children begin to make their way to worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to thank Jeffrey and the praise team. Sometimes I'm not the best communicator in the world, and I forget to let them know we've got uh, baptism taking place, but uh, they, they did a great job, and I appreciate so much. I tell you what, I didn't realize how tall Junior was until I tried to get him down in the water. That's a lot of boy to get up under that water. I think Summer looked at that and she thought, oh Lord, I'm in trouble now. But uh, it's just such a, it's such a great moment to see young people, especially teenagers, coming to Christ, being saved. We had three children a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it, it is a powerful, powerful time. Let me ask you something. How do you communicate to people that you love them? Hey, Jeffrey. Would you check these thermostats and make sure they're all cool and about 70 degrees? I have to watch Jeffrey. He'll put them on 65 and you'll be awake, I guarantee you. But anyway, how do you communicate to people that you love them? How do you communicate love? How do you let people know? How do you let your spouse know? How do you let your children know? How do you let your parents? How do you let friends know? How do you communicate and let people know if your teacher how do you communicate to students that you love them? You know, Sheila, when we were married young, we, we went to Greenwood yesterday to comfort a family who had a tragedy, had an accident, uh, well, they had a, a heart attack. A guy had worked all day, sat down, and fell over dead, died of a heart attack. And we were there uh, with his family and ministered to them. We came back through our old stomping grounds, the first church that I pastored, walking and visiting some of the people there and letting them know that we still loved them, that we cared about them. But how do you communicate to people that you love them? You know, I told Sheila yesterday, I said, when I was a young man just married, Sheila learned to make cornbread. And I used to tell this to congregations a long time ago, Philip, I'd say, you know, how Sheila communicated love to me was she would cut the cornbread all the way back to the very back and then she would take butter and she would smear it all over the cornbread, even into the back corners. That's probably why I got a stint. Now, she may have been trying to knock me off. I don't know, Lauren, I, I may, you know, but I always said that, you know, love was the fact that no matter where I went on that cornbread, it was buttered. I told her, I said, you know, I don't use that illustration anymore. If I were to say, how do you communicate to me now? She communicates me to me that she loves me by putting up with my dog. I've got a Dogo Argentino. He'll be over 100 pounds. He's already at 70, and he is five and a half months old. He's just a big old puppy. He runs with those big old barrel feet. He jumps all over everything. He gets mad on... Uh, that one Sheila said absolutely he can't get on the couch so I let him get on another chair's leather and he'll get mad he acts uh, Russell he acts just like a teenager uh, he's just something else uh, we've got a gate and it's about this tall and so here's Sheila in the morning climbing over this gate coming in there I hear her fighting off the dog and a lot of times we'll sprinkle shredded cheese just to get him to be occupied so we can even get our coffee and and, and I watch her wrestling with her. I hear her sometimes in there, ah, you know, she'll scream, and he bites her in the butt while she's at the uh, oven cooking, you know, just nips her. 
And I said, well, Sheila, he's just letting you know that he loves you. That's a love pact. But anyway, I, I, I tell her, I say, you know, when I see you climbing over that gate, when I see you wrestling around with that dog, it's a reminder to me that you love me. How do you communicate to people that you love them? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we talked last week, we looked at the passage. You remember in John where Jesus looked and he said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, right? In other words, we said this, Jesus saw a life lived out in sacrifice to the kingdom of God and to the things of God. Jesus saw that life as being a life of love for God. Let me tell you something. It's sometimes easier, it's sometimes easier to die for Jesus than it is to live out a life for him. I mean, you know, death takes just a moment. Martyrdom is just that quickly. But to live a life in sacrifice and service and sometimes a great loss of friendships and, uh, you know, to live out that Christian life takes a lot of, it takes a lot to do it. Well, so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here is talking about love. And, and it's nestled here, and I'm looking for my notes because I hadn't even thought about getting them out yet. But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and if you're there, say amen. Because Paul's going to give you a test. I heard one Bible scholar say this, between 12, 13, and 14, between 12 and 14, two controversial subjects, basically about gifts and tongues and all this, Paul puts this, what he called an Oreo. He put this piece of cream in the middle. I remember when I was in Zimbabwe and I would sit down and drink a Coke and eat an Oreo. Well, it wasn't an Oreo. They had a lemon cream cookie. And I'd take that lemon, you have to understand, be out in a bush, you take a lemon cream cookie and you break it apart and I'd eat the, the lemon cream out of it. And all the Africans would look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, oh, this is the American way of eating. And then I'd explain to them, we have an Oreo cookie and what we do, we break it apart, eat the cream in the middle and then eat the two cookies. And at 65 years old, nearly 66, I still eat an Oreo that way. But he said, this, this writer said, this is the Oreo. This is the cream in the middle. Chapter 13. And so Paul said, and now I will show you. The latter part there, he said, do all, he said, but in verse 31 of chapter 12, but eager, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor, give all, my, all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, Love, let's say it together, love never fails. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Amen. You can be seated. I want you to look at my notes. It's just, this, is just a, this is just a big mess. <laughs> it's almost impossible to even look at it. And, be, and I actually thought about Alan pulling one of those episodes where I just teared them up. And, and I just, In fact, I guess I'm going to do that because I just literally cannot read that stuff. And so I'll just throw it over there. Um, but anyway, Paul's talking about love, and I don't know about you, but if there's something that I want to do well, I want to love people well. I would like from my face, my countenance, to say to people that I love them. I want smile lines. I don't mind wrinkles as long as they're smile lines. If I have smile lines around my face and around my eyes, and I've got about, when, when I smile, I literally have smile lines and about three or four lines that turn up on my face when I smile. And I've worked hard to get those. I love to smile. I love to be the kind of person that people know that you love them. I love to be the kind of person that handles people gently. Paul here is not talking about circumstances. When he says be patient, he's, talk, he's not talking about being patient in circumstances. In fact, the Greek here implies that you're being patient with people. And Paul says this, he says, first of all, in verses 1 through 3, he says this, he says, love is not noise. Love is not talk. In fact, let me tell you what love is not. Here, he uses always the verb tense. Love is always action. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's action. It's something that you and I communicate to people. And he says, first of all, he said, love is not noise. It's not merely talking about it. It's living it out. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, he said, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And what Paul was saying, if I could speak with all the languages of the world, and you've heard me often talk about language. You've heard me look at you sometimes and talk about living in Zimbabwe. I'm learning Shona. I cannot speak it well. Speak to me slowly. Uh, I would say, I'm a little bitty boy. Talk slowly to me. I don't understand. Humbling myself. Trying desperately to understand the heart of the Shona people. The ability to be able to speak their language is everything. If I, were, if I were a person in this church and I were raising children today, every one of my children would be able to speak Spanish. It is an, it, it, I think it's a shame that we do not raise children to be bilingual, trilingual, to learn a multiplicity of languages, French, German, whatever it may be. I took two years of German, took German literature, Language is critical. Language is the ability to get to the heart of a person. If you look at somebody, and I, I listen, I, I tried for a while. I, I wanted to learn Spanish, and, you know, and I, I, was in a, I was in a place one day, and I said, Buenos dias, senor. And immediately he started up with Spanish, and I looked at him as if I didn't have no idea what he was saying from that moment on. But let me tell you this much. When you go to the heart language of people, you enter a level of intimacy and fellowship that you will never have until you know their language. When I would look at the African and I would go, I'm learning Shona. Barungu, I'm a white man. I can't speak it well. 
Batsiri, help me. My friend, immediately, I used to be with people that were white Zimbabweans who had been raised for generations, who had no idea of even the common greeting of the black African Shona. And sometimes those European descended people would look at me and say, if you were here, if you were going to live here for the rest of your life, what would you do? I'll never forget, I turned and looked at them. I said, learn their language. Learn what it means to look at them and with respect. Do your hands like this, which is a greeting that says, Pumsoro, excuse me, Makadi, good day. How are you, Makadi, how are you? I said, learn the greetings, learn the language of their heart. My friend Sheila and I, we'd walk into places and once that, they knew that we were struggling to know their language, we were treated differently than anybody else. I would look at them and I, would, I came up with this word. And I was proud of it. She would have mob way. It was something that I had to have when I'd walk into a restaurant and they didn't give it to you. And, and the, to the British, they would give you one in a glass. Have you guessed what it is? What? Ice. So I learned, I said, how can I communicate in Shona to the people? And I said, Shivuramabwe, and I was saying a, a water stone, a stone of water. They would start laughing, get hysterical, and go back and bring me a big old glass of ice. I had ice when nobody had ice. And yet Paul said this, he said, Paul said this, he said, if you could master every language of the world, if you could know how to speak in any language to any man, any woman, if you don't love people, I could look at people and talk to them in their language, but if they did not know that I loved them, I was wasting my time. In fact, Paul said, if I could speak with the tongue of men and angels, it's, hyper, it's, it's hyperbolic language here. It's hyperbole. He's saying, if it were possible for me to learn every known language and even unknown language, he said, if I could know it all. And he said, I don't have love. He said, I'm a clanging symbol. You ever seen the symbol? I almost, John, wanted to see if you could bring me a symbol. I mean, Jesse. I almost wanted to see, Jesse, if you could bring me a symbol. Always remember the Andy Griffith show. You remember when Barney wanted to be, he wanted to be in the band. And Andy told him, he said, you can't be in the band because you don't play an instrument. And one day Bar Andy is sitting at his desk and all of a sudden Barney slips in and he's got a set of cymbals and he walks up behind Andy Griffith and he bangs those cymbals together and Andy nearly comes up, he comes up out of that chair screaming and hollering, he's frightened. And then all of a sudden Barney's walking around there around Andy. And he's playing those cymbals. A cymbal is an annoying an annoying instrument if that's all that is played. Remember the gong show? Anybody old enough to remember the gong show? Oh, you people are old. The gong show was this. Jesse, have you ever seen the gong show? Really? Have you heard about it? Okay. Anyway, the gong show is basically this. You'd get up, you'd do your talent, perform, you'd sing or whatever, and there would be a panel. There would be three people, and, and they would determine if they were going to let you pass or not and get a prize or make or get or, or a money gift or whatever it was. And for some people, they sound so bad that one of the judges would get up, they'd take this big mallet, and they'd walk over and they'd gong you. And that meant it was over with. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
Paul said, listen, if you and I don't love people, listen, you can talk, you and I can talk till we're blue in the face, but it does not make a dime's worth of difference if people don't know that you love them. And listen to me, if you don't hear anything else, people know whether you love them that quickly. They know it. Kids know it. So Paul says here in verse 2, he said, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries, if I had all knowledge, if I had the faith that I could move mountains, but I don't have love, he said, I don't have nothing. Paul basically said this, if I knew all the mysteries of, if I knew all the mysteries of the universe, he said, if I knew all the mysteries of God, he said, if I had all knowledge, if I had all knowledge, I knew everything that was possible, able to be known. Paul said, if I had faith that I could say to this mountain, as Jesus said, if you have faith that, that of a mustard seed and you say to that mountain, be cast into the sea. Paul's saying, listen, if you have that kind of faith but you don't have love, it profits you and I nothing. Wow. Wait a minute. Let me, let's think about that. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to, see, to please God. The Bible says that you and I are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the very central, of, uh, central pillar of our, our systematic theology. And you're telling me that if I had faith to say to a mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, if I didn't love, it's not worth nothing to God? That's exactly right. And let me tell you some of the most offensive people in this country are so-called so-called conservative Christians. Have you ever been in a restaurant and watched a church group come in and the kids act like a bunch of heathens, there's food thrown everywhere and you watch this family just absolutely have no respect for nobody or nothing. They're rude to the waitress. They're constantly, uh, you know, getting on to her, correcting her, doing this, and they're all dressed up like I am, and they've just come in from Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you're sitting over there, and you're going, oh, God, why did they have to come in here? They are making my job that much harder. And then they leave a dollar. To some poor girl that's making $2.13 an hour. Tracy knows exactly. She's one of the management at Ruby Tuesday. She's about to have a conniption fit up here. Glory, hallelujah. Preach it. You know what I'm talking about? Tracy, do you have those people? Are they church people? Sometimes. How does, how does that make you feel about Christianity? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. You have a real hard time with it, don't you? Yeah. And sometimes you know what you know what you'll do when and let me tell you, this is what you do when those kind of people you go over, you wait till they leave, no matter how long they're there. You wait till after they leave and you go over and you give the waitress a, a, a proper tip. And if listen, if it puts you in a in a crisis, and where's Junior? Junior, I owe Junior two dollars. I just thought about it. Sheila paid Junior two dollars. But listen, listen, you go over, you give the waitress a, a legitimate tip, and then you look at her and say, I want to apologize for those people who are just here. And I want you to know something, that Jesus Christ loves you, and how they behaved is not the way he would have people to behave. Will you forgive them? 
We have lost the battle on a lot of social issues because we are rude and unloving. Think about it. God said, I don't care. You can move a mountain with your faith. You do it without love? Listen, he said it doesn't profit you nothing. And it gets, hey, listen, look at verse 3. If I give my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3 when they gave their life for what they believed in. Listen to what Paul is saying here. You know what? I, I heard this one, Ledge, I meant to ask you. Franklin D. Roosevelt, before he died, in fact, Franklin D. Roosevelt was posing for a portrait, if I remember. And he's, po he's sitting in a chair posing for a portrait as the artist is working. I think it was a woman. She was painting his portrait. And if I remember, he fell over dead. She made this statement of the president who died in his fourth term. She made this statement that his face showed the weathering storms of, the, of, of coming after post-depression, World War II. It just literally, she said, he was so tired. And he died. She went on later, and you know what she did? After he died, she painted another portrait. And this portrait showed him robust, full of life, smile on his face. And she said, because that's how I figure he looks now in heaven. Wow. I love, love what one writer said. One writer said that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that the, Paul would often give dictation. He would always, often dictate the letters because his eyesight was so bad. You remember sometimes he would sign a letter, I think Galatians, and he would say, you can tell this is my handwriting because it's so big. But he would also often dictate. One Bible commentary said this, Paul is sitting there dealing with Corinth and all their problems. And then all of a sudden he comes to chapter 13 and he starts talking like this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And somebody said it might have been that Luke put his pen down and thought, is this Paul? Many times we've seen 9-11. How many times have we seen those planes every time we come to 9-11 and we celebrate? Well, we don't celebrate. We remember that time in the country when over 3,000, about 3,000 people lost their lives. How many times is that picture of those planes as they're coming into the Twin Towers and everything in you wants to scream as if you could go back somehow in history and change it and stop those people and you can't. And yet in the Quran and among the, in the Muslim faith to kill the infidel is a sign of approval by Allah. My friend, that is not the God of the Bible. And that is not the God of creation. And one second after those planes went into those towers, those Muslim terrorists were standing before the creator of the universe in which John the Beloved said, let me sum up God. God is love. And they're standing before the creator, eternally separated from
from a loving God. One writer said this is the portrait of Jesus. It's as if, as if like Franklin D. Roosevelt, it's as if Jesus is sitting there posing for a picture. And he begins to talk about, he says, listen, he's, it's as if an artist is painting a, a word picture. And he's saying, first of all, love is patient. Oh, let's go home. Let's just stop there. It, it, if I remember, the Greek word is mac, macrothumia. Macro means long. Thumia is where we get our word thermos. It means somebody, it takes a lot to get them angry, to explode, and to get mad. And I have no right to teach and preach this because sometimes I have a real problem with controlling my getting upset. Let me ask every parent. You got a short fuse? You get mad? You just blow up and... Then you and then you you know then you you're going. I, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I wouldn't have reacted like that. Jesse will let you. You can talk to me later, okay? <laughs> He's about to come unglued up here. Macrothumia. Do what? Oh, Justin, I'm I'm calling him by saying, no wonder you're getting mad at me. Justice, I'm sorry. His sister's name's Jesse. Good gracious, brother. I mean, that's just not loving at all, is it? I'll give you $2, okay? Because I should not do that. And he's nodding his head. But love is patient. Macrothumia, it's got a long fuse. It takes a lot to trigger you, get you angry. And for, you know what I thought to myself? I thought about all the men, because see, men, we have a problem with temper. We have a problem with losing it real quickly. We have a problem of just reacting uh, in a situation, and, and, and we explode, and, and, and we're like a, a, what do they call them, a, um, improvised explosive device, e, IEDs? Yeah, IEDs. Do you know that IEDs account for about 90% of the deaths in Afghanistan? Do you know that's the major? Uh, do you know that's the major death of so many of our troops is IEDs? And do you know sometimes, Dad, that's what you look like. You know, Mom, sometimes that that's how you look to your children. Do you realize the teaching moments, the transparency, all of the opportunities to have an interaction with your children because you explode and before long your child learns this. They learn not to trigger you and to cause you to react that way. They learn to shut up and so you lose communication. You lose transparency. And let me tell you what you lose most of all. You lose intimacy. You lose it. Some husband and wives, she, you, you, hey, listen, and it's not just a man's problem. Ladies, you're good at it. <sighs> hey, the eye roll. And let me tell you 
me tell you, for every man in this room, he can't stand the eye roll eye rolling. He can't stand that breath of air that comes out of a woman because she's just as angry and she's not much better and she's stopping communication, intimacy, and fellowship because what happens is husbands and wives learn what triggers you and so they just shut up and ultimately you lose a dynamic in your marriage that you never can get back. That's where we are racially right? Can't be honest. Can't talk honestly. We can't dialogue. You know why? Because we got a leftist ideology. We got political ideologies. We got the media. We got Hollywood. We've got the sports industry. We got the entertainment industry. And they're all telling us what we ought to say. And ultimately intimacy and fellowship and the ability of people to sit down and work through problems is lost. He's talking here about being patient. He's talking about learning how to be, look at the next word. Love is patient and love is what? It's kind. Oh, I'm kind, yeah. Maybe you're kind to um, people who look like you. People who act like you. People who dress like you people who are in your homogenous little circle that you're comfortable with. You're, you're kind to those people. Kind to a homeless man? Homeless man or woman tell you real quick whether you love them or not. They can read you like a book, about like a kid. You kind to a senior adult? Well, Miss Jean walked to her car by herself. Or will somebody be kind enough to say, Miss Jean, let me walk you out to your car? You kind? Are you kind to people when politically they don't agree with you? Are you kind on social media? Or you just chew people up and spit them out? Are you patient? Are you kind because that's Jesus? You know why we're patient? Because God's patient with us. Listen, if I was in God's shoes dealing with me, I'd be a smoldering pile of ashes so many times. I mean it. If I, if I was God dealing with me, I'd have that lightning bolt ready. I'd be just, pow, he's gone. God's patient. In fact, the Bible says that God's so patient with us, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be saved. The Bible says that, hey, God loves the whole world. You know, Jesus said this. He sat with Nicodemus, and he looked at Nicodemus, this Pharisee who came to him at night, and they're sitting around a fire. And, and Nicodemus, he said, we know you're a teacher come from Israel, for no man can do the things that you do. And Jesus smiles, and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, he got to last. He said, how can a man be born again? Can I enter a second time into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? We, you teach things you don't know, don't you, Nicodemus? Nicodemus, God loves the world. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But Nicodemus, if somebody doesn't believe, they're condemned already. There's no alternate plan, I'm it. I'm God's rescue operation. As the old African, you know it. Looking at Simon Jana and saying, how do you tell people who have never heard about Jesus, never read the Bible? And old Simon Jana, that old African pastor, said, Yama, flesh, Mwadi, God. And then that old skinny little African preacher took this and he said, Mwadi, God, Akafeka, dressed Munyama in the flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And oh, how he loves Junior. Because Junior reminds us that we need to be kind and loving and gentle and patient with people. Let's stay. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. and Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, dear Jesus, that in the fullness of time, the Bible says that God put on the flesh of man. He came into his own creation. He invades it and takes on this virus we call sin. And he paid the supreme penalty. He laid down his life so that we could pick up his life and Lord be saved Lord I pray right now for every man, woman, boy and girl in the sound of my voice for these that are in this room for those that may be watching now or later that if they do not know you Lord Jesus that even now that they would come to repentance and they would just simply say that Jesus, that Jesus the one you're talking about, not the one that uh, is those people dressed in their suits and, and dresses who come in at Ruby Tuesdays and mistreat and mishandle and act like and act like unloving, unkind, impatient customers. Not those people. I want that Jesus that will help me be kind and loving and patient. God, help me to be like you. And I can't be like Jesus until Jesus comes to live in me. And the only way that Jesus can come live in me is to repent of my sin and to ask him to come in because he doesn't come in unless I invite him in. And just as I told uh, sweet Jesse yesterday, Justice little sister, his sister, his twin sister, just as I said to Jesse yesterday, with those beautiful eyes looking at me, when Jesus comes to live in your heart, he comes to live there forever. Lord, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you today, that they will ask you to come into their heart and forgive them and be the Lord of their life. I pray for others who say, you know, Brother Jeff, I am a Christian but I'm not very kind and I'm not very loving and I'm not very patient 
and I started reading on down through there, I'm rude and I'm quick to get angry and I'm, I'm quick to speak and I'm slow to listen. I, I want to be what you're describing and I'm not. Then may we quit quenching the Holy Spirit. May we quit grieving that Holy Spirit. May we say, Lord, help me through your word, through prayer, through the fellowship of being around other believers, even picking out those people who can live out the life in front of me. God, help me to be more loving. God, help me to be the one that goes across that restaurant afterwards and walks over to a table in Ruby Tuesdays and, and helps clean up that table. My, my son-in-law, Matt Scapel, <laughs> he has seen that happen and started cleaning up tables and policed the whole table to the finally the waitress said, if you don't sit down, you're going to get me into trouble. Why? Because Matt Scapel is a loving man. Lord, Chris McKinnon, who invaded our lives so many years ago, I've often said was the closest thing that I ever met to Jesus. Midian Chitsede. Midian Chitsede in Africa is a loving man. I never saw that African get angry. I saw him stand up against people who had machine guns. They could have killed him in a moment. And he loves people. God, help me to be like that. And Lord, help us to be like you and forgive us when we're not. As parents, help me to be patient with my kids. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.